With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the new sound of online radio. Welcome to the sound of Universal Broadcasting Network. Cause you make me feel alive. I've been locked out of hell. A mix of today's hits and hard to find favorites. Combined with the most entertaining and intriguing talk anywhere. This is your sound. This is the sound of Universal Broadcasting Network at UBNRadio.com. Keep those applause coming. <laughs> Richard listens on sports. Take two today. I uh, feel like I'm in the hot seat. This is great. We're going back to back, and it's a true honor today to be here um, and uh, to have so many guests that are passionate and doing amazing things in the world. And I think it's a gift that um, our current guests, as well as all our guests, are coming forward and wanting to talk about their journeys and how to transmit their passions and their journeys to the rest of the world. And so I feel privileged uh, to be here in the seat today and to um, be able to do this show for all of you. Our guest today is a former professional basketball player, although if you watch him play as I have recently. I still uh, root for him to get out there in whatever capacity. Tremendous athlete. He is a, a yoga enthusiast and uh, he will talk to us about how he is using yoga uh, for his own athleticism and to help other athletes as well. And he is also an aspiring, uh, making an aspiring run at the NFL, um, hopefully in the current year. And so we're going to talk about all that. Um, without further ado, I want to introduce you all today to Mr. So Far One. <laughs> What's up, man? Thanks for having me, Richard. <laughs> Let the people welcome you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> 
So how are you doing? I'm good. Chilling. It's a beautiful day. Can't complain. It's a beautiful day in California. And you are from Northern California originally. Yeah, well, technically, I guess it's in the center of California, but it's a town called Modesto. I was born and raised in. It's about hour and 15 minutes east of San Francisco. Thanks for handling that well. As a displaced New Yorker, I feel like I like know Los Angeles and like everything else is like Yeah, that's how it is for Egypt. most people. Most people <laughs> have maybe heard of Modesto, but never been there. It's, it's one of those places. So not just New Yorkers, even Californians. I've <laughs> never been there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when you grew up, were you, were you aware that it was like, I'm in a small town? Was it like, what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, uh, growing up like, the first house I remember my granny living in, she didn't even have sidewalks on her street. Uh, it was right next to a railroad track. Um, there's like, it's weird because Modesto, you'll have like developments of housing, but then directly next to it, there will be orchards and stuff. So it's all mixed together because Modesto itself is like a city. But everything around it for miles and miles is pretty much just strictly agriculture. So it's a little melting pot of a lot of different things. So it sounds like a mixture between, I mean, was that, when you paint that picture, is it is it poverty or is it is it nature? Is it a combination? Uh, it's, it's a combination. There's about, there's one small area that's pretty nice in Modesto, but everything else is, I would say, mid to poor, uh, middle class to lower class, I would say. Yeah, and so your journey with with sports started pretty young. I mean, uh, for you to get uh, as noticed as you were by your early teens, uh, but it didn't start with basketball, am I right? Yeah, basketball was actually the last sport that I started playing organized. You know, I'd always shoot around and stuff with my friends, but as far as playing organized sports, I started with baseball first and then football. And then when I was about 10 or 11, I started playing basketball at the local slam and jam is what it was called <laughs> that was the rec center yeah that well, it was it wasn't the rec center but it was a league that we like a friend of mine from grade school recommended me to join with him and then i fell in love after that <laughs> so were you when were you able to slam <laughs> i was 12 years old when i could first dunk the ball was that like a moment? Like, yeah, this is, this is, I'm getting, I can do this. I've, I vividly <laughs> remember doing it. Yeah. It was nice. I'd been trying for much longer before that. So it was nice to finally do it. It was just a barely, but I pulled the rim down ever so slightly, you know? <laughs> were there people watching? I mean, was... yeah, it was actually in, um, it was actually in a rec league all star game. So they kind of, it was kind of BS, but they kind of like towards the end of the game, everyone kind of cleared out and I had to do a couple of tries to get it done, but it was cool. Like there was a lot of people there that saw it. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Cause for most people, right. That's what every little kid comes up to you. Hey, can you dunk? Yeah, right? for sure. Or how tall are you? One of the right, two. Yeah. Right. Those are the initial measures of yeah. like, can you play basketball? Yeah. It's, I've had a kid come up to me and I told him I couldn't dunk and he just walked away disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's like, you're no longer, I was curious what they'd say. And it wasn't so you just good, test yeah. people now. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I'm doing, I'm teaching a class right now on youth sports development at, at Cal State Dominguez Hills. And a lot has been made of like adult controlled sports versus youth sports being more fun and playful and, um, at what point did um, things start to get serious for you? 
Mm, I would say I played my freshman year of high school. I played football and basketball. But then after that, I kind of decided to just focus on basketball because I saw the level of competition that I wanted to be at. And I figured that if I just channeled my energy to one specific thing, I would have a much better chance of reaching that level. And I still loved the other sports for sure. And I actually went back and played football my senior year of high school because I missed it and I didn't want to look back and regret it at all, you know. Um, But I would say after my freshman year of high school, I got pretty serious about basketball. So you had that awareness in yourself to play year round. It wasn't like a pressure put on you? No, I knew that I wanted to do it. And I I just kind of – it was addicting for me to go in the gym and push myself to whatever plateau or limit, whatever you want to call it, that I could get to for that day. And then also every week and just the small and the big picture kind of thing. So it, it I didn't really need to be forced or pushed or anything. I, I just wanted to be my best. And I knew that in order to do that, you kind of had to hunker down on one thing. Yeah. Did you find that like, you know, rivalry or nemesis or some cohort that was playing at a higher level to kind of push yourself towards? Oh, yeah. Like, especially because I'm from Modesto, which there's not a lot of competition. Uh, I was pretty easily the best player in the town. So but when I would go to the Bay Area, I would see kids that were my age or even maybe a tiny bit younger than me and they were better than me. So then I was like, okay, this is, I mean, this is obviously a bigger pond. And that just made me want to, then I wasn't, I didn't even care about Modesto basketball anymore. I was like, okay, I want to go to the Bay Area. And then after that, I got noticed by this team out of LA called Pump and Run, which has had tons and tons of NBA players come through it. And that was an even bigger pond. And then we played on the national stage. So there's always someone better. So yeah. How old were you when you started with them? With pump and run, I was uh, 15. It was after my sophomore year of high school. So I was 15. So you were spending weekends, breaks. Yeah. I would fly like to LA for practices. I would fly all over the country for um, tournaments. And I mean, on our team, we had, like five or six guys that have either played in the NBA or are still playing in the NBA, you know, like Drew Holiday, Clay Thompson, Larry Drew, uh, the Ware twins, De- David and Travis. Um, and then everyone else was like high level D1 caliber. So it was, it was nice. <laughs> so was it like a stressor as a teenager or was it like exciting? It was exciting because I think that summer we only lost two games out of like 50 something games. We wow. won we won every championship except one and that was when a couple of the guys were hurt. So it was exciting because for me I hadn't even been accustomed to playing with players of that caliber so it just made things easier on me honestly. But it also raised my level of play because in order to function with them on the court, I had to be better. It wasn't even a choice. Otherwise, I wouldn't play. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's pressure there, but winning solves a lot of things. Well, yeah. I mean, we had high expectations because, like I said, a lot of guys on the team were really, really good. 
but we were having fun, you know, like I still keep in contact with some of those guys and we always talk about how it was just a blast, you know, just like, because we were kids, like dreaming of making the NBA and like traveling around the country, like uh, playing against the other best players and wearing you yeah we were sponsored by adidas and had all the gear and all this stuff so it was like it was really fun it was a blessing and an experience for sure yeah and you mentioned when we were talking about that fast forwarded to already getting interest from college at around that age well yeah i had a because of um some guy that went to my high school he was a senior when i was a freshman he had committed to kentucky already so I went out with his dad to Kentucky, and I played in a camp, an elite camp is what it's called. And after the camp, uh, Tubby Smith offered me a scholarship, and I was 14 years old. And so, Wow. Was, yeah, so when different. they decide they like somebody. Yeah, especially in – it's even younger these days. I've heard of kids getting offered when they're like 11, 12 years old because even more now, like kids are only playing one sport from the beginning. Usually, like it's rare now because – it's just becoming much more specialized. So now it's even younger that kids are getting offered scholarships. So how does that not like, you know, um, go to your head and and like impact your performance then when someone like Tubby Smith is is saying, you're good in three years, just, just, you know, just show up. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I was obviously excited and flattered and stuff, but I didn't, think like oh, okay that's it now I've made it it was uh that just made me want to work harder honestly because I wanted to prove that I had earned and deserved that kind of recognition yeah and and where do you get that kind of humility and well, appreciation from I mean, uh, that's, well my my granny yeah <laughs> if I do anything remotely prideful she'll let me know <laughs> in certain words <laughs> Okay, so that so she was a good she is a good influence. She's still with us. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she she still is, and it, she just it was just I was raised that way. Like, even if you're good at some things, like just because people put emphasis on sports or whatever, like it doesn't make you you're still a human being, and you still have to do the right things and be a good person and all that. So. I'm grateful for that as well. It's nice (laughs) to have that balance. Yeah, no, I I owe a lot to uh, my granny and my mother both, for sure. So what was it like then? Were they, they, when you decided, I know you mentioned there was some pressure there to make a choice and and you wound up uh, choosing UCLA. I mean, what's that pressure like? Uh, Just comparison, you know, we all know about John Wooden and the tradition. I mean, is that kind of like forced down your throat from day one like this is the institution (laughs) yeah I mean well my dad actually went to USC so he I grew up learning the USC fight song and watching Keith Jackson on ABC and the football and stuff so Um, UCLA was not mentioned yeah no I mean they were mentioned but not in a positive way um so that wasn't even really anything to do with why I went to UCLA I just kind of went to UCLA because the other two schools that I was considering were North Carolina and Duke, and UCLA was about the same type of situation, but 3,000 miles closer to home. So my granny and mom were excited that I chose UCLA. 
because right they'd be it's able closer. To, yeah. Were they able to see some of your games? Yeah, yeah, a couple for sure. And then they could always watch them. Same time zone. They could come visit. Like if anything happened, it's a five-hour drive or a one-hour flight. It's not too bad with modern technology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now you you mentioned a couple times in our conversation about going through turmoil and and demons coming out was, was that associated with that experience uh was it a combination of basketball and personal uh it was mostly just my personal life basketball was kind of a a way for me to escape like i have countless times where i would just go to the gym because my high school coach gave me a key to the gym or my dad and i would just go and lose track of time and space and all that like it was a sanctuary in a lot of ways um so basketball was sometimes the personal stuff bled over into the basketball as far as my attitude and stuff like that but basketball was never really an area that caused me any uh, pain or strife or anything like that yeah, I'm glad you point that out about about it being a sanctuary because I know you're you know you take your spirituality seriously and and I mean I know it's been popularized by Phil Jackson about the intersections between basketball and and spiritual practice but being able to go into this gym oh yeah and hear nothing but yeah it's your just the ball yeah, and the ball just, hitting just the floor you kind of go on uh, autopilot a little bit which is nice you all the static that's going on gets at least muffled, hopefully muted, and then diffused a little bit afterwards. So it's yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah, and is there, like you mentioned, there's all this space, right? You look yeah. up, it's like the echo of the ball, ceilings are high, and and maybe that's why you know it does spill out during games because when somebody else then... Yeah, <laughs> no, there's more variables when it's uh, a competition and other people are involved and stuff like that. Yeah, so... What led to your leaving USC then? Was it the culture? Was it the combination of the interaction of the pressure to at, perform? At UCLA? Yeah. Um, well, honestly, I was uh, I was dismissed from the team my junior year because we had – uh, we had really high expectations. I think we were top 15 uh, in the poll preseason, and then we ended up not having a very good start uh, to the season, and me and the head coach kind of clashed, and I had exhibited uh, basically like insubordination, like rather than biting my tongue and stuff like that, I just let him know what I think or thought, I should say, and... Um, I also missed like I missed a team flight once, which uh, wasn't good because my alarm didn't go off. <laughs> uh, but it that ba basically, it's just uh, I was butting heads with the coach, and he was the boss, so he fired me. <laughs> so do they do they bring a player in? Like these are student athletes. Do they do they try and work with you? I mean, do they yeah, no, he gave me plenty of chances, but just uh, like I said, the personal stuff in my life bled over sometimes and. At that point in my life, I was just kind of at the end of my rope, and I stopped caring what happened, I guess, so anything would go. And uh, so he gave me plenty of chances, for sure. I can always say that. And it was all on me, basically. Yeah. But that's a hard thing for a student athlete when you're in pain 
and well, yeah. not knowing how to ask for that support. I mean, that's what kind of we've been talking about and, uh, you know, the express vulnerability and now all of a sudden here's a problem that can't be worked out. Well, yeah, he actually put me in contact and I saw a psychologist through the UCLA campus, like student uh, union or whatever. CAPS or whatever. Yeah, CAPS, exactly. Uh, but I just went in there and counted the seconds on the clock and then walked out. That was pretty much it. I, I wasn't looking to be helped right. in, a, in a serious way. <laughs> I could say that I was, but I wasn't. So did you wind up staying with UCLA or did you did you take some time? I left and then about a month after I was dismissed, I was in Lithuania playing professional basketball all the way across the world. Wow. <laughs> Quite different weather from L.A. too. <laughs> yeah, what is it like over there? Gray and black and cold. She just looked for a match for that pain. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was not the ideal environment for... Uh, <laughs> how I was feeling inside. It kind of mirrored what I was feeling inside, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Funny how we, we choose that. Yeah. I mean, it's one way or the other. Cause I remember that I had two choices of where to play. One was in Italy, like the South of Italy and then Lithuania. And I chose Lithuania for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> one of those moments you want to do a rewind. on. Yeah. I mean, I, I know everything is <laughs> happening for a reason and stuff. But if you look in hindsight, it's like, why did you do that <laughs> for all sorts of reasons? <laughs> Better I forget food, what they call weather. that. There's a there's an a, a Italian phrase for that or French, um, I, and it, I forget how you say it, but it's called like the um, something of the stairs. Like when people are prepared to say something, and then people ask you, and then you mess it up, and you get to the bottom of the stairs, and you go, "Oh, yeah, why didn't I tell them?" And by the time you get back up, the person's gone. Yeah, and yeah, the opportunity's yeah. missed. <laughs> you know, it's like that makes sense. <laughs> I sure we do that with ourselves more than anyone else. <laughs> oh, of course, because you know we're, we put so much pressure on making the right decision. But yeah. maybe that was the right decision for you at the moment. Yeah, I mean, if it helped lead me to where I am now, that's it's all right. Yeah. So, so how did how did that go over there? Did you have any uh, American connections or English speaking connections? There was, uh, well, because luckily for us, like English is the universal language, so. Um, it was pretty good. We I had two American teammates because that was the year that the NBA lockout was going on. So uh, Ty Lawson was there who's played in the NBA for a while. And then Sonny Weems was also there who'd played in the NBA for a little while. So they helped like welcome me in. And then most of the guys on the team also spoke like enough English to be able to communicate the basics. And for anything else, there was a translator on hand always. So um, that was good. So you mentioned that you know traveling and playing, you know, internationally has helped you like on your spiritual quest. Was it initially like that, or was it initially like no, it was just fleeing and yeah. It, initially, it was about making a little money and staying busy, um, but. Only for the first like year and a half, two years, it was like that. And then I had kind of like an aha moment where I was like, oh, I can use this basketball thing in order to do all these things in the physical world, but then also use it and take the time and downtime that I have like to read and meditate and explore and spend time like cleaning out the cobwebs in my head and all these kind of things. So it became a tool and a blessing because it allowed me to support myself financially and then some 
while also being able to do what I really wanted to do, which was heal myself. Were you aware that process was going on that you were beginning a healing process? Yeah, because I had a, I had, I literally had a moment, um, where I had done something that I thought would bring me clarity and relief and it didn't work. So I kind of didn't know where to go after that. So it was like even more of the feeling of dread and stuff. Cause I was like, now I don't even have anything to shoot for. Um, and so I had a moment where I was like, so I might as well, I have two options. I can kill myself or I can actually look to be helped in a genuine way and not just think that I'm smarter and I know better and all these things. So it was one of the two, it was a fork in the road and I obviously chose the wow. <laughs> other did, did one. you get met with a moment or a, a figure or someone who helped uh, kind of show you? Oh yeah, my uh, my uncle, uh, whose name is Optimism One, oh. uh, for a while now, um, he had been trying to help me throughout my life because he had gone through even crazier stuff than I had and gone through tons and tons of things mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Um, so he had been trying to help me. And then finally, when I decided to do it in a genuine way, I just reached out to him and I was like, I need your help. Like, how did you do it basically? And then he talked to me for a little while, but then honestly, he just gave me some books, like short and sweet books and was like, just read these. I know it's a really good start. Yeah. So you, you, this was all going on while you're living by yourself and yeah, I was by myself living out of a backpack or a duffel bag, I should say. Um, this was after, uh, Lithuania. And then I had come and I played with the Lakers for a month or two. And then it was after that because actually weirdly the, when I was on the Lakers was my lowest point. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Because that was what I thought would solve everything and it didn't. So then. Right. The moment you get there, I mean, that's, that's the LA team. Yeah. That's the, the professional dream. team. You know, I grew up idolizing Kobe. And there you are guarding him. And right? I'm playing and talking with him every single day. Like not like buying his shoes. He's giving me his shoes to wear you know, like weird things that you, you dream about these things as a kid and then they get realized and it doesn't work for what I was looking for. So this is a key, key piece of education for people that are out there, their athletes and people about their misperceptions about people getting to the highest levels is that what happens when you set your sights on a goal and you still realize there's something missing or there's oh yeah there's still some pain there i mean what i've learned since then is like if you base your happiness or fulfillment on a goal or a thing or a person or a place or whatever you'll always come up empty to a certain degree because first of all those things are fleeting and impermanent and then also there will always be another one right it's like results or uh, performance based happiness. Like what well, it's, uh, it's addictive. It's addictive for sure. But the reason it's addicting is because you need more of it. Like by definition, that's why it's addicting. You're like, Oh, this is good. But what about this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so what insights has that given you or, or would you want to share with young 
college athletes who are thinking about going to play more and more people going to play in Europe these days. Yeah. Um, about, you know, what to do with, you know, when they're having this experiences or how to balance out on the one hand, like you're saying, you've got the money, you've got the experience that you've always hoped for. On the other hand, there's you in a backpack and not a lot of, you know, grounding. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would just say to hopefully realize that all those things, while they might be cool and stuff, they at the end of the day, they aren't what's really going to fulfill you. I mean, and th- I feel like, though, that that's something that people have to realize for themselves, like on a personal experiential level, like it's hard to, cause people had told me that too. And I was like, whatever, you know, like, right. But once you, once you do realize you still it out here playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't know his, you don't, you don't know what it's like. Uh, but I mean, I think that that would just be the main thing is like real lasting peace and fulfillment come from within. So does does having, you know, teams moving towards having, you know, sports psychologists or professionals around the team, does that help for when people hit that moment? Like you said, only until you hit the moment of pain being greater. What's the saying? Pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you were fortunate to have an uncle or someone that you go, okay, that's, that's the person who I need to accept the phone call from. Yeah, no, he had – because he had – I'd seen his journey – and I knew that he had what I wanted. And I think how would you, you could, how would you describe that if it was a, a quality peace, just being okay at that point, I just wanted to not be bad. Even if it wasn't good, I just wanted to be okay or decent, you know, like that anything other than what I was feeling at that time was going to be better. <laughs> so, but him, he had like done so much, bad things and misguided things in his life and then I'd seen him just totally transform his life into like what he wanted it to be and then maintain that so I just knew that he was the guy and luckily he was my uncle and we were already close but we came much closer after that because we had a different type of bond yeah what a what a gift to discover even the people you love yeah you never know they have within them I know, and it's different, you know, like most of the time I grow up like hanging out with him. I was a kid, he was an adult, but then now I'm an adult too, and we can like hang out. He's my friend, you know, like a genuine like best friend of mine. Was was um, he part of the impetus for uh, veganism or yoga or other changes? Uh, for sure the veganism because growing up I would always be curious about what he was eating because he was either vegetarian or vegan. He even went like raw vegan a couple times and pretty intense stuff. So I was always curious. Uh, so he for sure probably planted the seed in my mind and then – I just kind of wanted to try it to see how it would make me feel and it made me feel a lot better. So I stuck with it. (laughs) How many years now? Uh, vegan, like between three and four, like three and a half. And then I was vegetarian for two years before that. Wow. So it's been a while. (laughs) So what's your favorite, uh, vegan pre-workout meal to get your, get your protein? Oh, um, I usually just drink a bunch of water and then some type of fruit in the morning and then an avocado and then maybe like some sort of uh, 
like pre-workout small little like supplement those are vegan and stuff too but they kind of make me feel a little jittery so i don't take too much of them (laughs) so you try and keep things your diet light yeah before working out for sure light um but then after i just eat massive amounts of any type of food calories just calories (laughs) yeah have you always been slender yeah, always uh, skinny. Like if I didn't, if I didn't work out or eat food, I would be maybe like two hundred and five pounds, two hundred pounds, and I'm six eight, so pretty skinny. Yeah, but you were you were leading rebounder your freshman year. At, yeah, at back UCLA? then. Ba- yeah, UCLA. I was about two forty, two forty five, and that was all muscle. So, yeah, I had I had like three percent, four percent body fat when I got measured, and they told me I actually needed more body fat because it was unhealthy at that level of yeah because you just need you need body fat because that's what your body the reserves for your body basically and like when you run out <laughs> important important misconception yeah you need some you need some they say the ideal for a world-class athlete is like six seven percent yeah so it's good uh, especially with everything we're seeing with people getting Overexhausted and of course, overworked. Yeah. Of course, uh, on this fine line between pushing yourself to new levels and completely depleting, yeah, your body's resources. Yeah. Um. So let's switch gears to current day. Yeah. Um. So you you took your basketball lows and turned them into a new passions, uh, with with yoga or rediscovering old passions with football. Yeah. Um, I mean, yoga for sure. I started when I was at UCLA and I was fortunate to meet this man, uh, Kent, who is one of the more renowned yoga instructors in the world. He's worked with everyone from like Derek Rose to Blake Griffin to Pete Sampras to Giancarlo Stanton to Eddie George to all these people. He was actually Giancarlo's flexible. Yeah, I mean, somewhat at least. I don't know if he stuck like with it. Baseballs bounce off that guy. Yeah, I mean, he is a, he is a beast. That's for sure. Uh, but they actually the Clippers actually created a position for him on their training staff, and he was the first yoga person in the NBA history, which is cool. He doesn't do it anymore. He does more freelance stuff again. Um, so he turned me on to it, and that was another way uh, that I was able to. I got hooked on it because it kind of helped me quiet my mind. Uh, So as beneficial it was for my body, the mental aspect of it was what made me stick with it and quite frankly become addicted to it because it was such a respite from the things that were going on in my head. Um, Right, because basketball, it's like you're moving around and you get to discharge a lot of energy, but it doesn't necessarily slow your thinking down. Yeah, exactly. So the yoga is about you're just in one place, but you're still exerting yourself physically. It's just a weird thing. I never really experienced anything like it before, uh, but I really loved it, and now I do it probably like four or five times a week at least. Um me and Kent are like really, really good friends. He's another like really, really good friend of mine outside of yoga. We hang out and stuff. Um, he's kind of a father figure to me in a lot of ways. And we haven't had a chance to officially like work together yet, but 
a hundred percent in the near future or sometime. Feels like an evolution. Yeah, yeah. He's because he's like uh, he's just mentored me and like helped me in so many ways, and it's such a big part of my life that I figure I might as well do it. And then if I can help other people find the benefits that I've found from it, that would give me yeah. the most happiness. And even if there's one other athlete who's struggling with anything similar. That's what I mean. I look at what he has done for me. And then like, if I was able to have that opportunity to help someone else, just one, you know, and, and then if there's more than that, that's amazing as well. But like, it's would be such a blessing to pay it forward in that way. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great to come full circle? And yeah, no, it will. It. I, I'm, I have more, I'm, I'm certain that it will. <laughs> yeah. Would you like it to be with the Bruins or you're open? I would actually really love to uh, be involved with them in some capacity in the future. I know uh, I've still made it um, like I, st I was just there the other day, like working out on campus and I ran into the old director of operations and he recognized me and we had a nice little chat and stuff. And I'm friendly with the current coach Alford. And um, so it's still, it's a, big part of my past and maybe part of my future so we'll see yeah there's something being able to to heal that part of yourself by healing something in the world yeah no exactly um, that's the easiest way <laughs> right right so fast forward give us uh, the synopsis about what's leading you to your current challenge um i know from talking basketball with you your mind still loves the game but something is unso unfinished with football oh well i think uh with the football thing i think it would just mainly it's it's a way for me to challenge myself in a way that i haven't been able to since i stopped playing basketball at the highest levels uh which i really enjoy like i i just kind of get off on like pushing myself physically and then i feel like now that i have my mind in control I'm just really curious to see what I'm able to do physically now that I have the biggest part. I mean, anyone who knows anything will tell you that sports is 90% mental, you know, because when you get to the highest level, everyone is the best athlete. Everyone jumps out of the gym. Everyone runs the fastest, et cetera, et cetera. So what separates people is the mental Yeah, what's the Yogi Berra quote? The sports is 95% mental and yeah. the rest is something something no i know what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about yeah, though, yeah. yeah uh so yeah with football i think first of all it would be a challenge for me which i'll enjoy and i think will help me progress in my own personal journey uh physically spiritually emotionally etc and then i think that it would also provide a really nice platform for me to be able to tell my story uh, because i think that a lot of people can find benefit from the things that have happened to me and the things that will happen to me along the journey. Football will be a vehicle to say what I want to say, basically. So there's a, a plan to prepare yourself for next season? Yeah, it's going to be. I've already um, started lifting weights eating six to 8,000 calories every day, which is the hardest part of it. Um, Cause you have to stay vigilant. Like you can't miss a meal. You can't skip. You can't do all sorts of things that you don't feel like doing. You have to do them anyway, you know? So, um, but I enjoy that too, because it pushes me in that way. Um, so this is uh, the beginning parts of it. 
Do you and, have a individual coach, or are you trying to do it? In yeah. A so right or? now, um, my main focus is on putting weight on. So I'm about 220, 225, somewhere in between there, and I want to get to 245, 250, somewhere in that range, and because I'm going to be doing conditioning and agility at the same time. So it's going to take a little longer along with the heavy lifting. Um, and then somewhere halfway through that process, probably when I get to 230-ish, 235, I'll start doing more football-specific drills and stuff like that. Kent um, has a lot of connections and stuff from past athletes that he's worked with. And then I also, from being at UCLA and stuff like that, I know a fair amount of guys who have played in the NFL or are currently playing in the NFL that can point me in the right direction and stuff like that. So that's gotta be difficult to do that kind of preparation on your own. I mean, is Kent your main coach for this? For Kent is, uh, he's a support system for sure, but I really, one thing that, I'm grateful about as well as I had a really strong sense of self-discipline instilled in me as a child. So I don't need someone to tell me to do something. If I want to do it, I'll do it. And, and I that's can really that. crucial. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it so. is. It's really, uh, I, I just, because of how I was raised, I didn't realize that it's not a normal thing, but I, I know that if I want to do something, I know what it requires and I have respect for the process that it will take. So I don't want to shortchange the process or myself. So now, now where does that come? Has anyone ever tried to deter you or has anyone always told you, you know, if you believe in something, you go for it? Like, where does that kind of reinforcement come from? Uh, I mean, I definitely had a strong support system growing up. My mom always, my dad helped me with he's the one who instilled the self-discipline and the dedication and things like that because of how he was raised. And then he had done things in his life that had shown me the fruits of those labors. And he was like, okay, if you want to do something, then this is what it's going to take. And not in any specific way, but just over like general values. Yeah, general values and ideals that are necessary in order to achieve the goal that you want to. And so then when I put those into practice, I saw the results in a positive way. So then it became easy. I was like, okay, this works. Why not keep doing it? <laughs> yeah, which is, this is, you know, really interesting. And so even though you're changing sports, uh, like I think, right, Michael Jordan's this amazing golfer and or people have mocked Tim Tebow trying out for baseball yeah. after not playing since high school. But it's like, you know, that guy is a born leader in work ethic. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and <clears throat> I, like I said, I played football my entire life. I played two years in high school. And football is a sport, I believe, that is really predicated upon the physicality of it. It's a, a much more that obviously at certain skill positions you need more skill and like have to practice specific things but a lot of it is being bigger stronger and faster so that's what i'm focusing on for sure but i do for sure look forward to putting into practice all these techniques and different drills and stuff and just running through them over and over and over and over again and developing that muscle memory and all that. That'll be nice. Yeah. Maybe we'll connect you with our last uh, guest, Darrell Noel, who has a little pop-up 
Nike gym over here across oh, that's the cool. studio. Yeah, that's cool. And he helps uh, some of our former guests get ready for the for the draft. That's nice. Yeah. Um, so, got a limited time left. What would you like to share with us? You got you're working on this documentary. It's, c- it's clearly important to you. Um, what would you like the public to know at this point about it? And um, what's I your would, timeline on? That? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say that. The documentary is an interesting thing that is going on because I think that, like I said, the story that I would be able to tell about my past, present, and future uh, could be beneficial to people. And I think that um, I've been very fortunate and blessed to have people in my life that uh, want to be a part of it, from Kent to uh, this director guy who's already made award-winning documentaries named Brent Huff, um, who's a really cool person and sees the vision and believes in it. Um, I think the only thing that's really standing in the way of it right now is uh, raising some money because it's a necessary thing in this world for most things. Um, But I have full confidence that whatever is supposed to be will be, and... Um, I look forward to doing my part and doing think my Siri best. Siri wants to raise money for you. Yeah, yeah maybe. I mean, I know I know Apple has a fair amount of money, so they they might be able to spare some. Well, there's nothing wrong with uh, making shameless plugs on the Richard Listen Show. So, how if people would like to give or support uh, your documentary, how can they find out more? How can they contact you? Uh, they can. I mean, if they want to, at this point, we haven't set up like a GoFundMe or anything like that because we're trying to do it through different channels but if they are interested in some way or might know somebody who uh, might have money and um, wants to be involved and enjoy sports and spirituality and things like that and would like to see the two brought together in a really cool way they can email your email or reach out to Richard Listens and we can go from there and I'm open to speak with anybody about anything really. That's amazing. I'm happy to be a, a vehicle and a conduit for that. You know, and my two cents is, look, you know, every week there's, it's been mostly in the uh, comedic realm uh, recently, and we know of many football players that have, um, you know, taken their own life and, and you know, suffering from pain, depression, uh, adversity. It is, you know, it's ubiquitous, but it's occurring for many athletes who don't feel they have a place to go with that pain um yeah i mean i had a i mean people here in la i um an old uh, my old college teammate from ucla uh, tyler honeycutt um about a little over a month ago he committed uh suicide and he had played in the nba and stuff like that and you just never know who's going through what and I'm glad sports is a platform where people are made aware because people are out there hurting and it's just nice to be kind to people, big or small ways. Yeah. So, so do you think, you know, part of the challenge is that people perceive them to be at the highest level? Yeah, we seem because of our gifts physically and stuff like that, that are somewhat, I guess you could call them superhuman or whatever, or at least different or something um doesn't doesn't mean that we don't go through the same things 
yeah mentally and emotionally and then as men we're told that we need to be strong and tough it out and all that so then that even makes it worse so it's just no one is immune to mental illness or depression or anger or anything like that no one yeah and and we're lucky that you're here to to share your journey and i think other athletes uh or college students or beyond to meet you and to get a gift uh whether it be of a, a spiritual book or a yoga class to see someone like yourself walking the walk um willing to throw down spiritual knowledge and, and down a uh, vegan pizza <laughs> of course <laughs> yes yeah, and he good. can put away a pizza folks <laughs> um you know it's it's a real honor to to be getting to know you and i hope uh we can support making this this documentary a reality real soon and uh for all you listeners out there uh we encourage your feedback um we hope that uh, you will reach out if you at all identify with so far as a story or if you have further questions and want to learn more through uh, Instagram at Richard Listens, Facebook slash Richard Listens, and email Richard at richardlistens.com. And for those of you hecklers out there in left field in <laughs> San Diego, <laughs> the center fielder for the Padres has feelings too. Um, it may feel good to heckle and get your negative emotions out, uh, but it's not cool. Um, and you're just hiding your own insecurities, and that's okay. It's okay to be goofy and insecure, but uh, you know those guys are out there just trying to <laughs> trying to do what they do, and uh, there's a lot of pressures on them as well. So let's uh, turn off our groupthink and uh, send some compassion. <laughs> Uh, to your local uh, athletes team and um, you better believe it if you show up early uh, they want to connect as well and uh, share their story so uh, we're thankful to have this platform uh, to do so I want to thank you Mr. Sofar One for being here today any parting uh, wisdom or thoughts for our guests um, just thank you for having me Richard and uh, like Stevie Wonder said take the time out to love someone Wow. Awesome. Stevie Wonder. Uh, so there you have it. We'll close on that thought. We'll be back in two weeks. Guest uh, to be announced. We thank you all for your support. And um, again, stay tuned. What I'm reading again, Leslie Howe's Mask of Masculinity. So far touched upon it. Men. It's okay to learn how to feel. It's okay to learn to be vulnerable. There are safe places and there are amazing gifts and wonders you can tap into if permitted to explore that side of you. And it's okay to be in conflict and not always to be a performer for the world. This is Richard Listens and we're out. Stay tuned. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.